Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Shall Be Well. I'm Anne Boyd, host of All Shall Be Well, a podcast by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We're here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Suzanne Stabile, a spiritual teacher and author. Suzanne's expertise is found in the study of the Enneagram, an ancient personality typing system identifying nine personality types that are expressed individually and in relationship to others. In our conversation, we talk together about liminal space and the pandemic and opportunities for personal spiritual growth. Suzanne shares a bit about the Enneagram and offers some resources for those who would like to learn more, including information about her most recent book entitled The Journey Toward Wholeness. But mostly we shape our conversation in a way that includes everyone, no matter if you are brand new to the Enneagram or a seasoned student. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Suzanne Stabile is a highly sought after speaker, teacher, and internationally recognized Enneagram master teacher who has taught thousands of people over the last 30 years. She is the author of The Path Between Us and co-author of The Road Back to You. She is also the creator and host of the Enneagram Journey podcast. Along with her husband, Reverend Joseph Stabile, she is co-founder of Life in the Trinity Ministry, a nonprofit, non-denominational ministry committed to the spiritual growth and formation of adults. Their ministry home is the Micah Center, and it's located in Dallas, Texas. If you're listening in real time, we have a special offer for you from InterVarsity Press, a code for 30% off of Suzanne's books when you buy them at ivypress.com by March 8th, 2022. Just use the code WELL22, capital letters W-E-L-L-2-2. And since I'm telling you about fun things happening right now, let me tell you that at the moment of this podcast's release, there are only about 36 hours left to participate in our limited time matching grant campaign. Any new or increased recurring gift doubles over the course of the next year. If you give before 11.59 p.m. on February 23rd, you'll also be entered into our drawing for a box of treats, which will include a few books we've discussed on this podcast and a batch of my very favorite Butter Toffee Crunch shortbread cookies. You can learn more at thewell.intervarsity.org. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. You begin by mentioning an observation you made in 2019 that our world is in a liminal space. And you define that as an existential state of being betwixt and between. And then we all watched as the pandemic deepened this reality. So I would love to ask you a little bit more about your perceptions of the way people have responded to this two-year liminal pandemic experience. Uh, I'm kind of uh, mindful that 
we have to have leadership that is a voice for as many people in the room as we can accommodate. Mm -hmm. And when we have a common experience like the pandemic and the liminality that goes with it, then um, I think we have to look at different sources of wisdom and information to be able to wrap our head around maybe how we would want to move forward into conversation. For me, it was into writing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, interestingly enough, Joe and I are very close to and have been friends for a long time with Father Richard Rohr. And when I first began to think about liminality, which was before COVID, I thought about the fact that he talked to us about that a long time ago, but people were beginning to write about it and talk about it. So I got out all my journals and I found out that the first time he talked to us about that was 19 years ago. Wow. And quoting him from my journal, then he said, You know, this space of liminality is extremely important because liminal space is the most teachable space. Hmm. He said, if you look at scripture, you'll find that God is always pushing God's people into liminal space. And then he revisited the fact that it was the most teachable space. And he added, in fact, it might be the only teachable space. Hmm. And so my question at this point, looking back, and then I'll talk about uh, more, is I think that's the gift. If there's a gift, then, and there's always a gift because there's always two sides to everything. Then I think the gift is we have been in teachable space. The question is, what did we learn? Right. And my question for myself is, if I had been a little quicker with the book and if I had put into at least my audience the question of what do you learn during liminality then would more people have been saying through the last two years what am I learning Hmm. and I think it's okay to look back I'm not sure we always know what we're learning anyway Um, one of my favorite quotes is from Kierkegaard And uh, he says, we live our lives forward, but we understand them looking back. I think um, if we weren't so impatient as a culture and didn't have such high expectations of ourselves and of others, I think we might've done better with the opportunities that COVID and um, all the realities of that offered to us. Joe and I, uh, my husband, Joe and I are mindful that we kind of wasted the first months of COVID for our own journey and our own work because we were trying to keep everything going, waiting, thinking, you know, next week it's going to be better. Well, in a month, this is going to all be over. And all that time while we were waiting for things to go back to the way they used to be or for the door to open for that, we were missing what we could have been doing maybe Mm -hmm. in real time. So I think that's one of the challenges that we, uh, we all had this 
expectation that we were going to kind of get through this pretty quickly and get on with our lives. And now, two years later, we aren't uh, through it. Whatever go on with our lives meant to us 18 months ago or 16 months ago doesn't mean that now. And we're left with the challenge of building a life in the now with what's available to us right now. And I think there's a big danger in our tendency to either want to go back to the way things used to be, because that's not going to happen. Right. Or to run ahead and create something new based on our own ideas that have not been tried and talked through and discussed and worked with enough to know whether or not there's any wisdom there. Mm-hmm. So I, I um, am trying really hard to work on two things, intentionality and presence. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be present to what is, and I'm trying to be intentional in my responses. Mm-hmm. And um, it's tricky. It it's is. very tricky. There is a dualistic option everywhere I turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I seem to be asked if things are good or bad, not to talk about what is. Mm-hmm. I, um, I also think um, that in God's goodness, women have a greater voice than they had a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm when we experienced a pandemic or our ancestors did. And I think um, the courage of women will be shared in what they say and in how they say it Mm -hmm. and in who they say it to. And I think that that has a lot to do with where we go from here. Mm. There's so much in what you just said but the, the thing that stands out to me is how much push and pull there is. There is this external drive to keep up with the rest of the world and what's happening. While I think many, if not all of us are, have, or are still experiencing a wish to, to deepen, to look inward, to slow down and I think, you know, you, in your book, you talk about, you talk about stress a lot and you frame the wisdom of the Enneagram as a tool to help us thrive in the midst of stressful times, which feels so relevant. And we'll get more into talking about the Enneagram, but I would love to talk about how the Enneagram, it's a, it's a tool for self-awareness and self-understanding just at its most basic um, Mm -hmm. description. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship between a person's level of self-awareness and their ability to respond to stress? And even right now in that push and pull of external activity and a a drive to to internal growth? Yeah, um, let me frame it. Mm-hmm. inside of the fact that the Enneagram is about nine ways of seeing. Okay. And we all fit 
in one of these nine ways. And the first thing it teaches us is that um, we don't see the same thing, even though we think we're all pretty much alike. Mm -hmm. We're actually not. And much of the stress that we experience occurs because we believe the people at the table with us are the people that we work with in any moment when we're all together are having the same experience that we're having. Mm. And that automatically sets up expectations that we're all hearing the same thing. We're all processing it the same way. And so we will be in agreement about how we can move forward. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that we aren't hearing and processing information in the same way. And then the stress occurs when we either dismiss people who don't think the way we think or process information the way we do, or we turn all that in on ourselves and think, I must be wrong. I must not see this correctly. I must not be adequate for this opportunity. Uh, this must not be mine to do. And in all of that dismissing, either ourselves or the other person, stress just gradually starts to rise. And the truth is, and, and everybody already knows this, is that we behave differently when we're stressed than we do when we're not. Mm -hmm. Part of the gift and the wisdom of the Enneagram is that it shows you that you behave predictably when you're stressed. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a lovely thing if you want to take responsibility for that behavior. So I believe that most people are doing the best they can most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to do better, we need a way of naming what we get wrong. You know, Paul said it over and over and over and over. I do the very thing that I don't want to do, and I don't understand why. And respectfully, I'm not trying to be dismissive of Paul. I know why. Hmm. Because I have been studying Enneagram wisdom for 40 years. And we all behave predictably, whether we want that to be the truth or not. Yeah. And somehow understanding how we're different and being able to accept because of its predictability, the way we behave and the way other people behave, that lessens and sometimes eliminates stress. Mm -hmm. Until the next time, yeah. you know, there's always the next time, always a next reason. And I think what's happening in part to us culturally is that uh, we're behaving badly because we don't quite know how to behave better. Hmm. One of my favorite stories that I love to tell, my husband's a pastor and uh, I, I'm at the church a lot. And one of the stories I love to tell is about a little boy who, uh, was in the third grade and he was running down the hall and he saw the pastor of his church and he said, oh, pastor, pastor, you need to come to our Sunday school room right away. And the pastor said, okay, I'm on my way. What's wrong? 
And he said, we're behaving really badly and we can't stop ourselves. And sometimes I look around me right now and I just think we are behaving really badly and we don't know how to stop ourselves. Mm -hmm. And giving in to behavior that is associated with stress can either make things worse or stress can actually help us make things better. Mm -hmm. But we have to know what that looks like in order to be able to do that. Yeah. There is so much that could be said about the Enneagram. And you talked a little bit about how it uh, it's based on nine different types. And I'm wondering if you can give just a little bit more of an introduction for listeners who haven't been very familiar with the Enneagram. Sure. Um, the Enneagram is thousands of years old. Don't know how old. Um, and one of the important things for me is that the Enneagram can be found in every faith belief globally. Hmm. So we really are talking about a common understanding that um, I think could help us find our way to a much better way of living in a global community. Hmm. I've been teaching for a long time and um, I teach the Enneagram because I grew up and then in my early adulthood, I knew that I always wanted to do something that made the world more compassionate. Mm. And when people come to hear me teach a beginning Enneagram workshop, which we call Know Your Number, it's an eight hour workshop. And at the beginning of the day, I say to everybody, I, I can't guarantee that you'll know your Enneagram number when you leave today. And I then say, but I'm pretty good at what I do, and you probably will. But what I can guarantee is that you'll be more compassionate. Mm. If we talk about nine different ways of seeing, for anybody who's seen an Enneagram, uh, people who don't know anything about it sometimes confuse it with a pentagram, which is unfortunate for me. Right, right. (laughs) And... um, but an Enneagram has, uh, is a big circle with lines all, that connect each of the numbers. And each number that you're connected to by one of those lines is a number that has some way of being in the world that would be helpful to you. So I'm a two on the Enneagram. Um, I am a giver, which mm-hmm. sounds so lovely and Christ-like. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I give to manipulate. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I give to get, and sometimes I give to be liked. And sometimes I give to people who don't want my help. And so there's a complexity that goes with all of that. But part of the problem for me is that I have a very difficult time saying no. The Enneagram number that I'm connected to when I'm in stress is eight. And eights have no problem saying no. They uh, don't do things that they don't want to do and that they don't think are theirs to do. And they aren't caught up in uh, being attached to the results of how they behave. Mm -hmm. So if I can go get some of that energy from an eight because I'm stressed, that's how I take care of myself. So the reality is that you can't take care of yourself without some behavior from the number that you're connected to when you're stressed and you can't experience holistic healing without 
connection to the number that you're connected to when you're feeling secure. Audiences that don't all know the Enneagram, usually uh, uh, podcast hosts will say to me, what's dangerous about the Enneagram? Oh. And they kind of say it that way. You know, they kind of lean in a little and say, Mm -hmm. what's dangerous about this? And my answer is the only danger I know is if you take it to be more than it is. It doesn't claim to be all wisdom that one needs to know. It's just some. Yeah. And it's a particularly helpful mm-hmm. little batch of wisdom. So my new book is, to, is the culmination of a, uh, a long time uh, of listening to other people teach me about their numbers. And... Um, You know, these tests that are available, Uh, I think the Rizzo and Hudson test is the best one. Russ Hudson is a friend of mine. He knows that I think his test is the best and he knows that I don't like tests. Okay. (laughs) And I don't like them because I don't think there's a shortcut to Enneagram wisdom. Mm -hmm. And because your Enneagram number is determined by motivation for your behavior and not by your behavior. So after the road back to you, which is a primer, uh, I knew that people, once they knew their number, would think, you know, I, I kind of want to know how it affects me with other people. Mm-hmm. So then I wrote The Path Between Us. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know, ultimately it is my job to talk about wholeness and who we are in relationship to ourselves and who we are in relationship to God. Mm-hmm. And so the journey toward wholeness is the culmination of now that you know your number and now that you see how it works with you and other people, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Like, what are you going to commit yourself to? Mm-hmm. And wholeness boils down to being balanced in thinking, feeling, and doing. Mm. So um, I, I think that the idea that change and transformation are not the same. Mm-hmm. Change is when you take on something new and transformation is when something old falls away, usually beyond your control. So now I hope what I've established is that we have just come through and are still in a time of liminality, which is supposed to be the most teachable space. Mm -hmm. What happened to us was beyond our control, even though we've all tried to control it in our ways. And since it was beyond our control, things have fallen away beyond our control. Mm -hmm. So this is also transformative space. And the big question then at the end of my book is, what are you willing to give up for transformation? Yeah. And it is the the favorite parts of your personality. Mm -hmm. But you are not your personality. You are your essence. And the Enneagram is about your personality. So essentially, I spend my time teaching people who they're not. (laughs) So they can figure out underneath all of that who they are. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up um, the other books that you have written, because I can imagine some of our listeners, you know, wishing to uh, to learn more and to get started on this journey. And I hear you saying the road back to you is probably a good place to start to figure out your number. 
It and, is. And another, but there is another option for people uh-huh. who want to hear it orally. Mm-hmm. And that is at SuzanneStabile.com. You can find everything that I've done, Okay, but it's possible to get all the numbers uh, on MP3s so that you can hear them taught mm-hmm. rather than read if you prefer that. Oh, good. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Road back to you is the primer. Okay. Well, and we'll put all those links in the show Great. notes so Great. that people can get that. As we, as we start to bring our conversation to a close, I've, I've just been thinking about our listeners and they're all women who live really full lives, you know, studying or teaching in the academy, working as professionals, living into their callings, and often while also caregiving for children or elderly parents. And it's just always a struggle to find time to develop our inner lives when our outer lives are so busy. It's part of that push and pull. So I'm wondering if you can offer some small ways to begin following God's invitation into deeper personal spiritual growth. Uh, Maybe (laughs) (laughs) I can try. Um, Two things that I generally tell women professionals and women in ministry are that uh, the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. Hmm. And I, I think that means that we don't have to bring what we were called to do 10 years ago with us, unless that's still our call. Hmm. My journey to get to where I've been for the last 30 years was I started out coaching high school basketball. I'd always wanted to be a college basketball coach. I uh, ended up teaching theology in a Catholic high school. I started a social service agency. I coached basketball at SMU. I, I did all those things on my journey and I thought that I was called to do all of them. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up co-founding Life in the Trinity Ministries with my husband, Joe, who at the time was a Catholic priest. And now we're here and we have four children and they all went away to school and they've all come back and they're married and they live in the Metroplex and we have nine grandchildren. And I can't, there are 19 of us. Mm -hmm. I can't do what I was called to do then and do what I'm called to do right now. Right. So there has to be some discernment in what do I let go of that's no longer mine to do. Mm -hmm so that I can hear the next word of God regarding what might be mine to do. Because you can't, you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And my generation of women, we were taught that we could do everything. Right. And we can't, that's, that is incorrect. You can't do it. Mm -hmm. And 60 is not the new 40. People who are saying that are not 60. (laughs) They're not. I'm 71 years old. And I'm telling you, I can't do what I was called to do at each step along the way and be even open enough to hear what is mine to do today. So that's the first. Thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is regardless, regardless of whether or not you're teaching, uh, whether or not you are in ministry of any kind where God is using you, whatever you are doing with your days and your energy, what brought you here won't keep you here. Hmm. And the thing that we let go of 
in order to do what we were called to do is listening. Once we think we've heard what's ours to do and we get about the business, then we stop listening. Hmm. And I think the first key of good discernment is, am I listening and how am I listening? And maybe what question leads me to listen? So I know that there's a, a trend now where people choose a word for the year. Right. Yeah, that didn't work for me. I'm happy for people <laughs> for whom it worked. I think it's great, but it didn't work for me. Now, I've had the same question now for years. And the question I ask myself every day, at least once and usually more, is what is mine to do? Hmm. And that's followed by, is this mine to do? And my discernment gets very messy at the same point. So I'm going to share with you and with your listeners what I think is the biggest detriment to good discernment. Mm -hmm. And that is when you ask the question, how will this affect me? Wow. That's God's business. Yeah. And our responsibility is to live with enough faith to know that God can't be anything other than loving mm -hmm. and God can't be anything other than faithful. Mm -hmm. And if we're called to do something, then we will discover God's faithfulness in that call, just like we discovered God's faithfulness in the call before that and the call before that mm -hmm. and the call before that. And I, um, think there is an ebb and flow to uh, ministry. And it is God's provision for us to work and then rest and then work and then rest. And we're losing that rhythm. Mm -hmm. And we just work and work and work. And um, I, I, I can't see that that's right for me. And when I overdo that, I suffer in mm -hmm. one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for everybody. Yeah. And I think it's just because we just don't know what, what question to ask. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're trying to be faithful. Anybody who's listening to this is trying to be faithful. And anybody who's listening to this is trying to be faithful in the midst of all the other things that are theirs to do. And I believe that we are supposed to keep a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. I believe that we are supposed to work faithfully. I believe that we're supposed to play. And I believe that we're supposed to pray. Mm -hmm. And when Joe and I started Sabbath keeping, uh, we found out that it's much easier for the two of us to pray than play. Hmm. And both are required. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think we just need a voice here and there. And I would be so happy if, if the people who heard our conversation today uh, heard just one thing. Just one thing to work with. Mm -hmm. And then that would be a lot yeah. put in the lives they already have. Um, we all have a struggle and each of us are struggling in a different way. And while envy is not my main passion or sin, 
uh, I envy you. And I envy your age and the age of my daughters. Mm. And what I envy is your friendships with women. Mm. Um, you know, my generation, um, when we entered the workforce fighting for equal pay for women and equal opportunities for women, whether or not we were overt in that fighting or just a step at a time, we were often competing with one another. And that hindered our ability to be friends with one another. Yeah. It cost us a lot. Mm -hmm. And women right now, uh, your age and the age of my daughters have figured out how to uh, be really good to one another mm -hmm. and very supportive of one another. And so I think that the questions that I'm posing uh, in terms of overall spirituality and in relationship to the Enneagram could be helpful. But what I would like to leave you with for those who know the Enneagram is this. If you're a three, a seven, or an eight, <clears throat> you need to get your friends <clears throat> and the person that you share life with, your partner, or your spouse, you need to give two or three people permission when you're really struggling, three, sevens, and eights, to ask you this question. What are you feeling? Hmm. And fours, fives, and nines, you need to give someone or several people permission when you're struggling to say, well, what are you doing? Or what are you going to do? And ones, twos, and sixes, the question is, well, what do you think? Hmm. Because balance is our best hope from my perspective. And that question is mystical. Although we didn't get very deep into the Enneagram in this conversation, I have to say that I have really appreciated Suzanne's books, especially this most recent one. I've been studying the Enneagram for over 20 years, and the ideas in The Journey Toward Wholeness have really helped me to understand some of my stuck places in a fresh way. And if you're just getting started, I wholeheartedly recommend the primer that Suzanne wrote called The Road Back to You. We hope you might consider purchasing one of Suzanne's books. Remember, you've got this discount code for 30% off at ivypress.com. Just type in WELL22 when you place an order before March 8th. You can find these details and many of the things we discussed in this interview at the article page for this episode at thewell.intervarsity.org. And if you listen all the way to the end of the credits, I've included a lovely bit from this interview that landed on the cutting room floor where Suzanne offers some insightful ideas about the process of discernment. All Shall Be Well is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do that at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast and sharing it with others. 
And as we close, listen in on this wisdom from Suzanne about discernment. I think part of what we might want to look at is, I think right now, it's hard both to stop and to start. Hmm. People don't know what direction to take. So that makes starting difficult. And the limitations that have been placed on us mean that stopping feels like we're losing the little bit of control that we think we have. Yeah. And the reality is that control is an illusion anyway. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite illusion, but it's still an illusion, (laughs) right? And I I think uh, the discernment piece has to do with, let let me suggest a book that I didn't write. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is one of the, and I read a lot. It's one of the most important books I've ever read. Uh, And the name of it is Callings. And it's Mm -hmm. by a man whose name is Greg Lavoie. And what he's talking about is all the ways that God is trying to talk to us. Hmm. And we don't have to completely stop to be able to hear the Holy Spirit in lots of different ways. Hmm. So um, he gives example after example of like it might be a conversation at the table next to you. Where you hear something in a restaurant and you hear something and you think, that's what I've been trying to figure out. It might be an unexpected phone call. It might be your favorite television show. We we need to get rid of the idea that we have to be in silence, in a prayer posture, Hmm. in order to listen. The question is, what are you listening for? Megan McKenna uh, tells a wonderful story uh, about being in New Mexico with a friend of hers was Native American. She was, is a nun. And she um, was always aware that he seemed to hear things that she didn't hear and be aware of things that she wasn't aware of. And they had met for coffee or something and they walked out on the street and he said, oh, do you hear the crickets? And she said, what are you talking about? There aren't any crickets. And he said, don't you, you don't hear the crickets? And she said, oh, stop. And he said, follow me. And they rounded the corner at the alley and the whole wall was covered with crickets and they were all singing. And he said, now come back with me. And they walked back out to the sidewalk and start walking down the street. And he took all of the, he took all of the change out of his pocket and dropped it on the ground and everybody around them stopped. And he said to her, you see, everybody's listening for money. But not many people are listening for crickets. Wow. So the question is, no matter where you are, what are you listening for? And do you want to hear that voice Mm -hmm. and what it might be calling you to? And from 71, uh, fairly old, I would say, my life answer to those of you who are younger is you want to hear it. Yeah. Yes, you do. And you want to trust it and trust yourself that you can live into it. 